Jeremiah 10, verse 10 through 11. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Thus shall you say to them, The gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of God, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. John chapter 18. Verse 37 and 38. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is the truth, Pilate asked. With this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for charge against him. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the world word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. All right, imagine a boardroom business meeting with me, okay? You have people seated around a conference table, and the boss comes and addresses the team. Here are some words you will never hear the boss say. Now, in order to advance our corporate strategies, we're going to be a team that primarily is known by lying to one another. We're going to hide the truth from each other. We're just going to focus on deceiving one another. Emails, communication reports, everything. From this point forward, nothing but lies. No truth. That would be madness, right? That would be insanity. There's there's no teamwork without truth, right? Truth matters. You just really have nothing if you don't have the truth. Without truth, you have no relationships, no certainty, no security. You can't build anything. You can't go anywhere. You have no future. Truth matters. We build our lives on what we believe to be true. And what is truth? Well, truth is simply that which accords with reality, that which is accurate, that which is trustworthy, that which reflects the true nature of the universe, something that lasts something that is secure. Now, if that sounds really basic to you, you're right, it is. But I want to warn you, as I have 
studied God's truth. God has humbled me and burdened me. If, if you think God's truth seems to be too basic or too rudimentary to focus on, I'm talking to you in particular right now, okay? I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to you all. But uh, if that seems a little too basic for a sermon, I'm talking to you. Now, point number one is that God is truth. God is truth. That's the biggest truth from which all other truths flow. There's one true God. That's the biggest, most important reality upon which all other truths need to be built. There is one true God. You get that one fact wrong, you got nothing. You got nothing else. But if you get that right in your heart and you get that right in your mind, you're holding the biggest, most important truth of all time. For all eternity, there is one true God. Jeremiah 10.10, we just heard, but the Lord, when you see that in all caps, that means Yahweh, but the Lord, Yahweh, is the true God. He's the living God and the everlasting King. Once again, if you get that right, you can build a life on that. You can build an eternity on that. You get that wrong, and it's all lost. Everything is ruined. Verse 10 continues, At his wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. So the stakes are high here. Thus you you shall say to them, this is verse 11, The gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. You and I cannot afford to get this wrong. There's wrath, there's indignation, there's perishing at stake here. Again, verse 10, But the Lord, Yahweh, is the true God. He alone is the living God and the everlasting King. Listen, everything in life and in eternity flows from knowing and responding to Yahweh as the one true God, the one who made the heavens and the earth. No one else could do that. The reason there's a sky above this roof and the reason there's an earth below this floor is because God made them. And the language of the text is bigger than that. It's pointing to God as the one who made both the physical realm and the spiritual realm that we can't see. So God made the heavens that we really just, you know, can't see. And God made the earthly realm, the physical world, that we can feel and touch. God made the things you can see and God made the things you can't see. God made the things you do know, and he made the things that you don't know, and he made the things that we can't even comprehend. God is the one true God. And God is the God of truth. That's how he's titled in Isaiah 65, 16. The God of truth. And that reminds us that truth does not belong to us. Truth is not a construct of human civilization. Truth is not a construct of of philosophy or culture. No. Truth belongs to God. Just remember, truth is simply that which is reliable, that which is accurate, that which reflects reality. God is that ultimate reality. His thoughts, his words, his feelings, his preferences. That's truth. Now, in contrast... My opinions are not the same, right? I've got lots of opinions. You hang out with me, you're going to hear lots of opinions. I've heard it said of others, and it's true of me. I'm always opinionated and sometimes right. Now, I hope many of my opinions reflect reality. But recognize reality is independent of my opinions. My beliefs, my thoughts, my words do not change the reality of God's truth. It's completely independent. In contrast, 
when the God of truth has an opinion, that is known as reality. That is the definition of ultimate reality. All truth is from God and belongs to God, and God always and only speaks the truth. The promises of God are anchored in that eternal reality. The eternal, unchangeable nature of God's truth that he will never lie. He will never tell a lie. Hebrews 6.18, it is impossible for God to lie. So we who have fled for refuge to him might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. You see how that works? It's an argument from God's unlying character, his truth-telling character. So if you're in trouble and God holds out hope to you, you can have strong encouragement in that hope because God cannot and will not lie to you. His every word is true forever. We've got to be reminded in this culture that truth is not found in godless consensus. Remember, the truth is not located in human culture, in human agreements. Uh, you know, you may be part of a physical or a virtual community where there are like-minded voices that are all affirming your opinion and making you feel right. Uh, maybe they're affirming your criticism of other views. Apart from God's truth, that means nothing. That means nothing. Truth is not primarily achieved by democratic process. It's not first and foremost adjudicated by human courts. It's not exclusively possessed by investigative journalism. It's not principally legislated by governing bodies. Now, they can, they can agree with God's truth, but they cannot make truth. They cannot certify truth. Truth belongs to the God of truth. Romans 3, 4 is so helpful. It says, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. Just think about that for a second. Let's say we could get an earthly consensus. Every single human being, seven plus a billion of us, we all agree about something. We say, this is true. All seven billion of us, every nation, every person. If God disagrees, that is a lie. Seven billion people and their opinions don't mean anything unless they agree with the God of truth. Let God be true and every man be a liar. And there's a day coming when everyone will agree that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess to his glory that he is the king. That is the ultimate truth. That is the ultimate truth. God never lies. Point number two is that sin rejects the truth. So God is truth, but sin rejects the truth. Lies don't come from God. God never lies. Lies are the language of Satan. And Jesus explains this in incredible detail in John 8.44. He says, The devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. <laughs> his, his children are liars. The most powerful spiritual being that is opposed to God the Father, God the God of truth, is Satan. His very first recorded communication in Genesis are these four deadly words. We looked at them last week. We're going to just consider them again. These are four satanic words. Did God actually say? Those four satanic words led to the first recorded lie, which led to the first recorded sin. And those four satanic words are like a tornado swirling around this earth 
did God actually say? And they lead us into sin every day. Can you feel how deadly those words are? Can you feel how they assault the truth of God's sovereignty, his rule, his royal kingship? Can you feel how they assault God's goodness, his promises, his faithfulness? Did God actually say our four satanic words? And just as surely as truth flows from God, truth comes from God, just as surely lies lead to sin. There's no way to embrace lies. There's no way to, to cozy up to lies without embracing sin. And that's uh, where Romans 1 is so helpful. I, I beg you to please study Romans 1 more on your own. We're just going to scratch the surface here. But let's look at verses 18 and 19. Romans 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness do what? Suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Skip down to verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because, verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So the word truth appears in verse 18, suppressing the truth. It also appears in verse 25, exchanging the truth about God for a lie. And what we see here is that if we abandon the truth of who God is, what he loves, what he commands, all we're left with is lies. And those lies are not neutral towards God. One of the big lies is that you can disagree with God and be neutral towards him. Not true. There are two options. There are only two options. Exalting the truth of God or exalting the lies of sin. So follow me here. When, when you reject the reality of the God of truth, the only one who should be worshipped, the only one who can give you eternal life, and when you elevate something in creation to be your idolatrous love, your source of comfort, your source of pleasure, you're proclaiming to the universe, my idol is better than God. Don't worship the Lord. Worship money. Worship power. Worship pleasure. That's what sin is saying. It's a lie. It's a lie that obscures the glory of God. There's no such thing as indifference to God's truth, right? There's no such thing as neutrality here. You're in, in each moment of our lives, our hearts and our lives are either proclaiming that God is worthy of all worship and adoration or that sin is worthy of our adoration and worship. It's like sin is shoving God down into obscurity. That's what sin is trying to do. Don't look at that. Look at this. I don't need to tell you that God doesn't want to be shoved into our closets. <laughs> I don't need to tell you that God doesn't want to be locked in our sheds. No. When sinners do that to God by worshiping created things, God's wrath is rightly kindled. Again, Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against un all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They fight against it. They push it down. They hide it. They obscure it. So you can see how the God of truth is opposed to the lies of sin, right? Sin is saying God is junk. And to paraphrase 
Jeremiah 10.10, God is saying, no, I'm not. I'm Yahweh. I'm the true God. I'm the living God. I'm the everlasting king. At my wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure my indignation. That's God's reply to the lies of idolatrous sin. Lies lead to insurrection against the king. Lied leads, lead, excuse me, lies lead to worshiping wickedness. Lies lead to idolatrous loves. And make no mistake, lying lives lead to hell. Lying lives lead to hell. Revelation 21.8, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Did you catch that last one, and all liars? Does that seem like it's on par with some of the others here? Does that surprise you at all? Murderers, sorcerers, liars. You're like, wow, it's a little harsh. But think about it a little bit further. Lying lives lead to the lake of fire, and I think you could express all of these categories of sin in terms of lying lives. I'll just briefly editorialize here and reread that verse and kind of express some of the ways in which these sins are related to lies that oppose God's truth. So let's start again. Revelation 21.8. But as for the cowardly, the ones who said that earthly powers were more fearsome than God, the ones who were ashamed of Jesus... As for the faithless who claimed that God wouldn't keep his promises, as for the detestable who loved evil, claiming it was good, as for the murderers who ignored God's warnings about anger and wrath and the sanctity of life, as for the sexually immoral who worshiped pleasures that God had forbidden, as for the sorcerers who exalted occult demonic power instead of God's supremacy, as for the idolaters who obscured God's brilliant reality and bowed instead before shadows. The portion of all such liars will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. It's all lies. All sin is based on lies. And if God grants you a moment of clarity right now, you will understand a profound truth. You are a liar. And I am a liar. I have done most, if not all of those things, deserving God's eternal wrath in the lake of fire. My destiny should be the destiny of liars, the lake of fire. And without divine intervention, our lives would be just one unbroken chain of lie after lie dedicated to obscuring the eternal reality of the God of truth, the only true God. Point number three is the gospel restores truth. It was into this world of lies. It was into this world of darkness and sin that Jesus stepped down from heaven to break the chain of lies. Jesus came to testify to the truth of who God is and how he should be worshipped in all of our lives. 
Jesus was on trial. It was a fake trial. It was a sham trial. It was a trial full of lies. And Jesus said to the man in charge, for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Praise him. Jesus came to bear witness to the truth, not merely with his lips, although he did that, not merely with his life, although he did that, but he embodied the truth. The word made flesh for us, for sinners, for liars. He's a living savior. Truth is not just an abstract concept. It is a person. And his name is Jesus. John 14, 6 He declares, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one way to the life of truth, and it's Jesus. In his life of perfect truth, there was never a moment when Jesus elevated a lie and obscured the glory of God like we do. Jesus triumphed where Adam failed. He rejected the lies of Satan. Satan came to him and said, did God really say? And Jesus said, yes, he did. He did. Jesus hung accursed on a tree, dying the death that liars like you and I deserve. And Jesus rose victorious as the first fruits that prove every promise of God is true and will be fulfilled forever. Jesus is the yes and the amen to every promise of God, saying he's true. He's true. Every word of God the Father is true. And when Jesus went back to heaven, he did this. He spoke this. John 15, 26, he says to his disciples, but when the helper comes, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. When the helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Spirit of truth comes from the Father, sent by the Son to bear witness about Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, are devoted to restoring the people of God to the truth of God. Liars who take hold of all God's truth for them in Christ are liars no more. Liars no more. Jesus Christ restores the rightful place in the heart and mind of the redeemed That God is worshipped, God is praised, God is loved, God is honored, and sin should be no more. Responding rightly to Jesus puts our souls back in the truth. Back in the truth that there's one God who made everything. He alone should be worshipped, though we fail to worship him and obscure his glory with our sin. That the wrath of God is rightly revealed against us, that Grace alone can save us and restore us from the madness of sin. The truth that faith alone in Christ alone brings salvation and a life of spirit-empowered worship is the only right response to the saving work of Jesus Christ and the truth that he's coming back 
to bring a spotless bride to his side to heaven forever. That's the gospel. And that's sometimes called the word of the truth. The word of truth. The gospel. We heard it in Colossians 1, verses 3 through 6, where Don read, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Those are beautiful words. Those are words spoken over God's beloved people. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does also among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. That's beautiful. Verse 5, the word of the truth, the gospel. It's as if the gospel comes wrapped in a truth package. Verse 6, the grace of God and truth. It's as if the grace of God comes wrapped in a truth package. You open up the beautiful truth of God and inside you, you pull out the good news of salvation, the gospel, the word of truth. You, you open up the truth of God and you get grace, unmerited favor, the good news of God's forgiveness Now, the truth of God does start out with bad news, right? We're all liars. That's the bad news. But it ends up with the best news. Jesus can forgive us and restore us to the truth. That's the word of the truth, the gospel. So what does it look like in our lives to open up the truth and to take out the word of the truth, the gospel, and to live by it? What does it look like to be a people of truth? Walking in the truth is far more than just intellectual assent, right? God's not just calling us to say right things about God. He's calling us also to live right things about God. So what does it look like to open up the truth and receive the gospel, the word of truth? Well, people of truth are people of repentance. People of truth are people of repentance. When we see our sin accurately, and we see God's offer of forgiveness in Christ accurately, we respond in repentance. It's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a, a great work of God's Spirit purifying us and drawing us to himself. So let me ask you, have you ever gone to God in prayer and just, just openly confessed to him that you are a liar? Have you ever done that? That would be grace to your soul. Just more generally, what, when's the last time you confessed a specific sin to God and asked him to specifically forgive you for that sin? If you claim to be a Christian and you can't think of a specific example of how you bring your sin to God, tell him you're sorry, and ask for his forgiveness, that should be awkward, <laughs> You know, Christians claim to be people who say, we need the forgiveness of God every day because we're sinners who have responded to Jesus in repentance and faith. And so if you don't make a practice of being, you know, asking God to make you aware of sin, confessing it to him, asking for his forgiveness, and receiving the grace of his forgiveness, then that's awkward at best. I would encourage you to ask for help in that regard, if that doesn't describe your relationship with God. 
The, the opposite of repentance is ignoring sin, hiding sin, minimizing sin, and enjoying sin. And, and we have a litmus test for personal truth, for personal honesty in 1 John 1.8. This is harsh. This is strong. But hear the words of truth here. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. It's not where you want to be. <laughs> if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, I don't think anyone in this room would probably just, you know, in conversation say that, right? Like, I have no sin. That's not a regular part of our conversations, right? But by your silence about your sin, both to God and to your brothers and sisters, do you imply that you have no sin? Remember this truth. Jesus is gentle with repentant sinners. He's gentle. He's not here to destroy you. He loves contrition. He loves humility. Listen to Psalm 51.6. This is the heart of God towards the sinner who's honest about what's in their heart. This is the heart of God. Psalm 51.6. God delights in truth in the inward being. Delights in truth in the inward being. Why would, we, why would we deprive our Savior of the repentance that he delights in? I've been convicted of that this week. When I fail to confess sin, I'm depriving my Savior of something he delights in. I don't want to do that anymore. So open the door of repentance and let Jesus in. He already knows. Tell him. Be honest. People of truth are people of repentance. Maybe you've never done that, ever. That's the entry point to the life of Christian faith. That's where it all starts. It's not manufacturing stuff. It's just agreeing with God. I'm just saying, you're right. I'm wrong. I've been obscuring your glory. And that's wrong. It's terrible. And I don't want to do it anymore. Would you please help me? Make me into a person who walks in the truth. People of truth are people of repentance. People of truth are clearly people of the word. The word of God is the truth of God. Uh, I've been just really enjoying Psalm 119 this week because of this uh, subject matter. I would encourage you, uh, if you want to grow in your love for the truth, just pray through Psalm 119. What a gift to the church. What a blessed psalm. It's really, really long for a reason, because God's word is really, really good. Every word of God proves true. That's Proverbs 35. Every word of God proves true. Every promise of God is trustworthy. You can take it to the bank for life. Now, let's be honest again. Is your Bible intake in prayer life proportionate? Does it match your claim, if you're a Christian, does it match your claim that Jesus Christ is the biggest reality in your life? Okay, we're talking about a matter of proportion. Does your Bible intake in your prayer life look proportionate to your claim that Jesus is the biggest reality in your life? And practically speaking, how does that work on your day-to-day experience of life and life circumstances? What I'm saying is, is the truth of God's word the biggest reality in your heart? Does the truth of God rule your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus? 
Just, you know, one, one specific example. How are you doing with anxiety lately? There's a lot of things in the world, there's a lot of circumstances that are attempting, probably right at this moment, to be bigger than God in our eyes. There's a lot of unsettling things in a world that is a tornado of lies. But what's the biggest reality for you? Is the word of God comforting your anxieties, calming your fears? Is the love of God helping you to be sheltered in the storm? Do you need help to cling to the truth of God's word? Do you need help? I do. That's one of the principal reasons I'm here, because I need help to hold on to God's truth, to hold on to his word. That's why God put us together as a family. We need each other. And God has a lot of truth and a lot of grace to pour out through one another into our hearts and our minds and our lives. Let's be a people who ask for help because we're a people who are devoted to being ruled by the truth of God in his word. Let's do that together. People of truth are also people who truly worship God. People of truth are people of true worship. This was our call to worship, John 4, 23 and 24. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You'd be hard-pressed to find the word worship more in any two verses of the Bible, would you not? Um, God is seeking true worshipers. And again, God would never find a single true worshiper were it not for the work and person of his son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit that he sent to be testifying to the truth of who Christ is and how we can respond to God in truth. But... Notice that God is calling, he's looking for something much more than just intellectual agreement with the truth. He's not looking merely for people who will sit in a church service for a couple of hours. He's not really just looking for people who have Christians, friends, and a Bible on their shelf. He's not looking for people who merely acknowledge Jesus with their lips. He's looking for true worshipers who acknowledge Jesus with their lives. Worship isn't just singing, of course. Worship is a whole entire life exalting the one true God. God is seeking true worshipers. And one of the principal aspects of worship, you, you, you know, it's such a big word, it might be hard to say, when am I worshiping God and when am I not worshiping God? So let me just help you with one aspect of worship. Now, worship um, often involves delight. Worship often involves delight. What we delight in is a clue to what we worship. Um, Now, there's more to it. Things that we fear are also things that we worship. But let's just focus on delight for a moment. Delight, delight is something that reveals what you're worshiping. So, if your friends were to ask or to answer this question, what would they say you delight in? What would your friends say or your family say that you delight in? One of the ways we find this out is by talking to one another. I know you've all had this experience when you're talking to someone that they're not really interested in, they don't really care about, their face is just flat. They're just not really that engaged. You know, they're not really like clicking with the conversation. But if you hit a conversation topic that somebody cares about, 
you know what happens to their face. It lights up, right? They go from this to this, you know? What does that for you? That's what you're worshiping. It's a piece, you know? It's a part of revealing your heart, what you're worshiping. So what would your friends say that you delight in? What conversation topics make your face light up? Is it sporting events? Is it vacations? Is it a nice meal at a good restaurant? Is it calculus? Is it aquatic invertebrates? There are some people. (laughs) I met one of them. (laughs) But be honest. In all seriousness, be honest. Does your face ever light up when people talk about Jesus? Does your face ever light up when the word of God is proclaimed? It should if you claim to be a Christian who is walking in the truth. The Father is on the hunt for true worshipers whose faces light up when we talk about Jesus, whose faces light up when we talk about forgiveness. That honors God. That glorifies the Savior. Let's be a people of truth who worship the one true God with our delight in him. And then lastly, people of truth are people of the gospel. I shouldn't say lastly because we could talk about what people of truth look like for the rest of the day and beyond. But the last thing I'll mention is that people of the truth are people of the gospel. People of the gospel. The truth is that God transforms hearts and lives. The truth is that liars who embrace the truth of Jesus Christ are liars no more. And I want to get just a little bit more personal on this point. I've only been an elder for a couple of years, and some of you have only known me in that respect, but I've been a, you know, in various roles of formal leadership at Providence for more than a decade, and um, you know how leaders are just kind of held up as model citizens and examples to be followed, and that's biblical, actually, when it comes to eldership. But when I look back on the early years of my leadership, so I'm thinking, you know, 10 years ago, I see lots of weaknesses, of course, but there's one in particular that I want to humble myself and just call myself out for. I'm ashamed to say that there were many years of my life where I shared the gospel with not a single person, not one, many years in a position of leadership in a church. That's really not okay. (laughs) It's not like I never talked to anyone, right? (laughs) I guess if I was a monk and I lived in a cave, that might be, it's not okay, but it might be understandable. So it's not okay and it's not understandable for me. People of truth live the truth, and part of living the truth is speaking the truth. You cannot live the truth without speaking the truth. You cannot claim that Jesus can rescue us from lies and break the power of sin, and he's the only hope and the only way of eternal life, without talking about it. That's awkward. I was not a good example. There are words for people like me who suppress the truth, who ignore the truth, And those are words like hypocrite, words like liar. That would describe me. Some of you guys were around back then, and I'm truly sorry there wasn't a better example of a Christian in regards to evangelism. This is good news. We should tell people about it. I could have used some correction. I could have used some discipleship. 
I still could. Uh, but uh, by God's grace, I've grown. You could probably use some correction and some discipleship too, couldn't you? I'm convinced that I still need to grow because there's still a whole world full of people who are stuck in a tornado of lies. Just swirling around, out of control. And only Jesus can speak over that tornado, peace be still. Here's the truth. Only Jesus can do that. And he wants to use us. He wants to use us so that the word of truth, the gospel, would be on our lips. It's a privilege. It's a joy. It's a blessing to speak of our Savior. Let's be a people of truth who are a people of the gospel, the word of truth, the best news of all. And as we do all these things, there is going to be so much joy as we talk about what God is doing among us as we walk in the truth. I am so excited when I hear the stories of how you guys are walking in the truth. And I cannot say it better than the Apostle John. So this is 3 John verses 3 and 4. He writes to a church, he says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Amen to that. Amen to that. If we care about the glory of God, his supremacy, his beauty, his goodness, if we care about the spiritual good of one another, we will have great joy when we share testimonies and give examples of God helping us by his spirit to walk in the truth. It puts so much joy in my heart when I hear that about you, sharing the gospel, turning away from idols, caring for others, repenting of sin, devoting yourselves to prayer, devoting yourselves to the word of God. That just makes my heart burst with joy. Now, I do care about your kids' activities, and I'm thankful that you guys get to go on vacations, and, you know, it's really a blessing to have a nice meal. It's a gift from God, and, you know, sporting events can be tons of fun, and, you know, we can talk about all those things. But you know what I really want to talk about? I want to talk about walking in the truth. I want to talk about Jesus. I have no greater joy than to hear that my brothers and sisters are walking in the truth. Now, it's not all about me. Don't do it for me. Think about Jesus. If the Apostle John could feel that way, if I could feel that way, how much more does the Savior who died to rescue us from lies and to purchase us for the truth rejoice when he sees us as a people together walking in his truth. Jesus loves to see us walking in his truth. Let's respond now to God in prayer. I'll start. Prayer is a wonderful way to respond to God. And so typically after sermons, um, we're attempting to Respond to God by confessing our sins to him. If you'd like to practice that, now is the perfect time. Um, and we also like to just ask God to move on behalf of his truth, on behalf of his glory. 
And so having focused our hearts and minds on the word of God, we're just so well positioned to do that, to confess our sins to the Lord and to ask for him to move in this world. So I'll start, and I invite you to pray out loud after me as the Spirit leads.